GM. Let's go. Put it in the box. And make it 14 as he gets Anderson looking. Jacob DeGrom ties his career high with 14 strikeouts. Scooter and the big man bust the city in half, and the Mets lead it. A grand slam high off the right field foul pole. He's done it again. Francisco Lindor. That's driven to deep right field, headed toward the wall. That ball is out of here. Jeff McNeil breaks the ice with his 23rd home run of the year. Uh, amazing city. Podcast. All right, and we are back with yet again another episode of The Amazing City with Antonio Slater and Jack Ramsey. Uh, this team stinks right now <laughs> in this in this stretch from hell that we were calling it. They've only won one game, and it was a, a extra innings win against the Giants where they had to go to like nine different bullpen arms because Disco finally got hurt in the second inning. They ran out of position players. They ran out of bullpen arms. They ran out of bodies. So the Mets kind of got lucky, and uh, the bats came alive late. But it's, ever since then, it's it's been ugly. It hasn't been great. Uh, luckily, as of about forty five minutes ago, Javier Baez has been activated. Excuse me from his uh, from his injury list stint. So he is back. They are not activating Lindor until either tomorrow or Tuesday against the Giants. What it looks like, but. It looks like some reinforcements are back on the way, starting with Javier Baez batting third, playing shortstop today. Yeah, I mean, they, 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 they need his bat. There's no other way to put it. You know, a healthy Javier Baez who's performing to his capabilities is a pretty good bat. I mean, I know it's a lot of strikeout or nothing or strikeout or home run or nothing, but, you know, at this point, I'll take that. You know, he was a little banged up coming into, coming into his Mets tenure. So, you know, you kind of give him a little bit of leeway there. Like, they knew he was hurt when they traded for him. So, the fact that he ended up on the injured list isn't too terribly surprising. But, you know, the hope is now that he's finally 100% healthy after his heel issue. And he can be the Javi Baez that was a MVP candidate just a couple of years ago. Yeah, I mean, even, like you said, coming into the, the trade, he was banged up. He had, you know, the heel. He had some stuff going on with his lower legs. He had, he had a bunch of stuff going, you know, little, little small lingering things. So it just kind of, it's almost kind of a good thing that it happened when it did. So he, he was able to take his week or so to kind of just relax, get back to 100% healthy completely. And now there's no worries about his heel, his toe, or whatever the hell it was, his hip, his back. So now, now we have a healthy El Mago. And even when he was banged up, when he, when he did stuff, it was absolutely electric between the home runs, the slide in Miami, the defense that he provides. He was an electric factory when he was able to suit up for the Mets uh, before he got hurt. So now you have to hope that his back can kind of go back to what it was before the trade where it wasn't just all home run or strikeout. He'd actually make some more solid contact, you know, get some more hits besides just home runs, which would be nice to see, which is something that we need in New York right now. Uh, so like I said, so there are more reinforcements along the way besides bias. Lindor is coming back soon. Uh, Noah Syndergaard is coming back soon. Jose Martinez has another bat. Arodas Vizcaino is just activating AAA. So it, it doesn't look great right now, but given given the stretch of games after this, after this series with LA and the Giants series at home, it's still possible. Yeah, I mean, they have a little flip-flop in their schedule with the Marlins and and the uh, the Nationals kind of like the same type of schedule they have right now with the Dodgers and the Giants. I don't think I don't know if anyone really honestly thought the Mets were performing this poorly in these games. You know, they not that they felt like winnable games, but the Mets, you know, pulled some out earlier in the year against the Brewers in the first half. You know, they have they have handled good teams decently. You know, they played well in San Diego, so you know, you kind of hope that you can scratch out a game here and there because that's what that's what good teams try and do against great teams. You know, the Dodgers and Giants are two great teams coming into things. The Mets were – they were a good team, scuffling a little bit, but still a good team. But things have just not gone the way you hoped. You know, there's really no other way to put it. You know, it felt like at a worst-case scenario, they'd have three or so wins already at this point. And your worst case was where you're four game, three or four games under, six or seven games out. You know, but losing 11 days of 11 games of position in 21 days is 
borderline unfathomable. So I don't really know how else to put it other than it's 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 a massive disappointment. It's it's a failure on so many levels. You know, it's yeah. terrible scheduling. And in the end, there's nothing you can do about that. But it's also not an excuse. You know, you can't be sitting here making excuses for a team that when they were at home playing the Cubs were 10 games over and are now four games under, something like that. So in a matter of a couple of months, you've lost 14 games of ground in terms of the, where you are in the 500 mark. You know, they almost, they, they hit the 10 game over mark. That was a high water the year and they've just tanked since with yeah, no real it's... signs of turning it around you know even after the, the extra inning win against the giants you know you kind of hoped all right this will be the one because the brandon jury walk off against the red turned out not to be the one and then the big comeback against the pirates was not the one you know the comeback against the brewers and corbin burns was not the one you know the jose peraza go-ahead home run off of um josh Hader was not the one you know they've had so many moments this year where they can have that that marquee moment and then just try and take off from there. They have not been able to build upon momentum and big wins. You know, that's what you want to see from a good team. You know, you have a big win, a huge moment. You start ripping off some games from there. You know, 2015, Wilmer walks it off. You take off from there. You know, 2016, Terry Collins calls the entire team out. Team takes off from there. But you just haven't, haven't been able to capitalize on moments. They've had a plethora of chances but they can't do it, you know? And it's a little it's a little concerning when your biggest strength at this point in the year is your bullpen, considering how volatile bullpens are. Yeah. <laughs> you know, a bullpen can fall apart at any moment. It's not like the Mets have like world beaters in their bullpen who are top of the line closers and relievers. You know, Trevor May is up there, but Castro has shown that he's iffy. Familia has been iffy. Diaz has had, you know, heavenly highs, but unfathomable lows. You know, Drew Smith is hurt. Aaron Loop is currently playing the role of God on earth, but even that at some point might start to fall apart, you know, so you can't, you know, bullpens are volatile, like I said, so I, I, they're in a terrible spot. They're in a very atrocious spot. They're in a very bad spot. It's, it's, I, I don't, and like you said, it, you said it perfectly. There have been so many different chances for them to just have that big game. Then they've shown it. They've shown instances of, okay, this is who we are. This is what we're capable of. You said the, uh, the Pittsburgh comeback, the comeback against Corbin Burns and Josh Hader, taking two out of three from, from Milwaukee with Woodruff and Burns, taking two out of three from San Diego twice, uh, taking two out of three from Chicago, from the Cubs when they were, you know, looking like a team that was putting together a solid season, taking, taking a series against the Yankees, taking so many series against top teams. And then out of nowhere, it just, it just, the only word you could say is plummet. It's just, I, I can't understand what's gone on. And again, I think a lot of it is, it all boils down to the hitting because the pitching, as we said last week, the pitching hasn't been bad. They'll have a couple games where they look, you know, they look like they don't know what a strike is. But other than that, for the most part, the pitching has been phenomenal. Yeah. And I think some of their recent ruts, especially like the one Taiwan Walker was in, it's just guys who are putting mileage on their arms that they either haven't done in a while because of injuries or B, they didn't do just because of how short the COVID year was. You know, right. Lance Lynn led baseball in innings last year. I mean, I don't even think he cracked 100. No, I don't think he you did. Know? So now we have dudes like, like Lance Lynn who's pushing 200-something innings, you know, or on pace for that. So, I mean, a lot of guys are starting to kind of fall apart and see their numbers dip off. You know, sticky substance has obviously mm-hmm. played, a, played a factor in that. But, you know, Taiwan Walker's kind of started to gain all that back and gain that momentum back. He's starting to kind of look like the Walker that dominated the Cardinals and was one of the best, considered the best free agent signing in baseball earlier in the year. You know, so you're right. You can't compl- really complain about the pitching, especially considering the pitching is the reason the Mets are even in this spot to begin with. Yeah. Or we can even sit here and talk about, well, if we win these games, we're right back in it. You know, I was talking about it with someone a couple of days ago, you know, with how good their pitching was in April, May, and June, the three runs they were averaging felt like a million mm-hmm. you know whereas now they're averaging four or five runs a game but the pitching isn't, hasn't been as dominant so the runs feel like a lot less but you know again like you have the pitching to thank for the fact that you're in the spot mm. you know the, the, the lucases who had a multi-start stretch of an era under two you know the gaselmans got to be an absurdly valuable long man sean reed foley even like Corey oswald the only reason he even gave up an earned run in 
the Bronx was a Yankee Stadium cheapie that was <laughs> a, a fastball at the eyes. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think you're starting to see, I think, the real Mets in a sense that the pitching has kind of become what we thought it would be now. Talon Walker being more of a mid to back end guy, Marcus Stroman being a, a, either a kind of a low level two or a high n- number three. I think he's exceeded just about everyone's expectations this year, mm-hmm. you know, but you're still missing your ace. Yeah. He's not there. You've been missing Baez and Lindor, you know, Jeff McNeil is falling apart. Dom Smith I, can, I can't understand. Apart. And I'm sorry to cut you off. I don't understand what the hell has gone on with Jeff McNeil. It's one thing to say, oh, we know last year was a COVID year. and But the difference between last year and 2019 and hell, since the day he was called up between then and now, this is a completely different player. I've never seen a guy who's so pure bat to ball miss so often. He usually has a pretty solid eye at the plate and he's chasing shit like it's nothing. He's This is a guy that no matter what, He's going to find a way to put the barrel to the ball or at least make some sort of contact and fight it off. But it just seems like, I don't know. And I don't know if it's when he had to um, miss a couple of days when he had that leg fatigue, I think they called it ever since then, it seems like he's just, he hasn't been right. It seems he goes game. He goes like a, a full week without hitting the ball out of the infield and then he'll, he'll line a double. And then it's the same thing where he'll go four games without hitting the ball out of the infield. I've never seen this guy swing and miss so often. Is something I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's mechanically. I don't know if it's something in his head. I don't know if it's just frustration boiling over. I don't know if it's just another charge that we should list onto Hugh Quattlebaum's arrest warrant. It's whatever's going on with Jeff McNeil needs to be fixed because he's another guy where nothing's happening unless Jeff McNeil is Jeff McNeil. This is a guy that no matter what, even in his struggles, he's number two in the lineup. So something with him needs to be fixed. But I'll I made my point, so I'll let you go back to what you were saying. You know. Part of me wonders and worries if it's a lot of the Mets are kind of reaching a point where they know someone needs to step up and start carrying the offense. So trying to play hero ball. Right. Maybe McNeil might be trying to be that guy, might be trying to be more of a Conforto or like a peak Conforto or a peak Nimmo than he is is himself. You know, he, at his core, he's a slap hitter. He pulls the ball well, but he's not a pull hitter. Right. You know, I think his issue earlier in the year, and I think it's probably coming up again now is that he's trying to pull the ball and be the guy that can hit in the second half of the upper tank, mm-hmm. you know, but he's not that guy. He's, he's, the, he's the guy who's going to go into shift, line a double down the left field line, taking the ball straight up the middle, going gap to gap. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, some of his major issues previously were that he was trying to ball, pull the ball way too much, mm-hmm. you know? So I think it might be like a, a culmination of a lot of different things. But, you know, it's, it's a terrible spot for a lot of reasons. And I think part of that is no one has stepped up. And you can't even say for sure that no one's tried to. But no one hasn't tried to, you know, because so, there's been some serious change in approach, what it seems like, to a guy like a McNeil. You know, and it'll, hopefully getting a Baez and a Lindor back will take some of the pressure off and they can maybe start to relax the plate more. Right. But, you know, it's they're in a terrible spot in a multitude of ways. Yeah, it's it's frustrating to watch. Um, no, I mean it's borderline unwatchable. Basically. <laughs> it's it's damn near unwatchable. It's there have been so many times where I'll just I'll, I'll pick up the remote. I swear I'm going to turn off the TV. I hover over the power button and I just I can't physically push it because this team has drawn me in so damn much. It's it's I'm stuck. I'm stuck at this point. I think you put out it was like a, a week or so ago. You know, you can't let a baseball team affect the way, you know, affect your mood. And for me, like I said, it's too late. It's too late. I'm yeah, screwed. I'm, I'm, I'm I think I'm young enough now and I follow enough other sports teams that I'm, I'm getting honed in on preseason football and the Denver Broncos. So yeah. I can kind of wiggle my way out of it. But it's, See, you know, it, it's no matter think, how bad the my, Mets are, I'm, I'm not picking a Giants preseason game over, over the Mets. I just can't do it. Yeah. You know, I think. My biggest issue, not my biggest issue, which is it's, it's been disappointing, you know, because for the whole year we said, just wait until we're healthy, just wait until we're healthy, then we're going to take off. You know, and we lit, we got through the Cameron Maiden games, the Khalil Lee games, you know, we got through the days Wilfredo Tovar was hitting seventh. And now we're at the point where they're all here. You know, Sands, Lindor, and you can make the case that the couple, like the week or so that everyone was healthy, 
in the Bronx and then the beginning of Pittsburgh. And I think that, that wasn't, maybe they were in Cincinnati. Yeah. I forget. But until when, from that moment when basically everyone was back until when Lindor got hurt, they were firing on all cylinders. You, know, you can make a legit case that when they're healthy, you know, a Lindor, a Nemo Lindor one, two is one of the best in baseball. For sure. So hopefully you can hope, I guess the hope is that Nemo and Lindor getting on base and putting a little pressure on pitchers right off the bat can help alleviate some of the stress on a McNeil, on a Conforto, on an Alonzo. Not that Pete's been playing bad lately, he's been great, but you know, one man can't carry a baseball. Team, right. You know, so hopefully that, hopefully Lindor being back and Baez being back. Obviously, it lengthens out the lineup, but can take some stress off some guys. Even like a Dom Smith, who was at his best earlier in the year, you know, when everyone else was, was starting to hit, you know, because it takes it takes pressure off and lets guys kind of be free and be themselves, you know, like mm-hmm. 2015 Mets, like Murphy and all them were starting to hit well because Cespedes was doing his thing. And Granderson was an anchor at the top of the lineup. They were getting on base and allowed to put pressure off guys like the Duda. You know, guys like Flores in the bottom half of the lineup, like Darno, like pressure was coming off them. They were able to start performing better. Yeah. And I just want to go back real quick to, um, you know, trying to play hero ball and the moments where, like, uh, in what was it, 2015, 2016, where Terry Collins said, if you hit, you play. And, and just, I want to go look at some numbers ever since Pete Alonzo gave his whole just smile and don't think, but know that we got this. I want to just list off some of these numbers since that day. Right. Since then, Conforto is hitting 311, Alonzo 308, Davis 302, Nimmo 291, Jonathan VR 289. Are you ready for the steep drop off? After that, our next highest hitter is James McCann at 174. So from 289 to 174. McNeil's hitting 135. Dom's hitting 133 since then. I don't know what the hell is going on, but it's there's three guys right now that are hitting, and then everyone else is is they must not not even bring a bat to the plate. It's I I just don't understand what's going on. It's not like these guys are bad hitters. I know James McCann isn't the most prolific power hitter or most prolific hitter at all but mcneil's a good hitter mcneil should is one of the best pure hitters in baseball dom smith is one of our best hitters period last year yeah i mean it's just it's it's baffling this is this is a two-week stretch of a 300 ops for dom um yeah i mean sports illustrated's pat regazza reported the other day that you know, the Mets might be looking to upgrade in left field this winter, and I think they absolutely should. You know, someone made the point to me, oh, well, you can't sell him money that is lowest value. You can't sacrifice winning to try and bring up somebody's value. Because guess what? As the years go by, he loses more value because he has less club control. You know, he's proven to be a disaster in left field. Mm. You know, the metric, the eye test might say, oh, well, he gets the ball in quick and he's got soft hands. That's great. He can't get a jump on a ball to save his life. <laughs> you know, Range wise, he's disastrous. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't even it still doesn't even look like you know. I know he'll, he'll never look natural out there just because he spent his whole life playing first base, right? But he still looks doesn't look like he's settled in. You know, it looks like he's still haunted by the Giants game where him and Rosario collided and the ball dropped. Yeah, in the ninth inning. You know, he still looks uncomfortable out there. You know, so I think I don't know. I think it's a shit show. Yeah, I he still I give him credit. He he's made tremendous strides over the last couple of years improving in left field and he definitely looks more natural this year but no matter what he still looks like a first baseman in left field yeah and I think that's something that a winning team can't have you know no matter how hard you try and sell oh well, he's figured it out he's figured it out <laughs> no you know that's a beautiful thing about you know baseball in particular in 2021 is baseball has more advanced stats and a deeper understanding of its game than I think any other sport does, you know, basketball is pretty close, but there's no real metrics in football. Hmm. You know, football is just basically the entire eye test, you know? Yeah. So thankfully baseball has so many different ways of figuring out the game inside the game, hmm. you know, the numbers behind it. And they basically all say Tom Smith's not a good left fielder. <laughs> so yeah, the, 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 the numbers and the numbers with the numbers are against Dom. Yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, and I think that, he's that, trying. That's, 
I think that was an, ex- was an experiment that a team on the up and up could do. And I feel like something like the 2014 Mets could have done, you know, when you're those type of years and you know you're not good yet, but you know you're right on the cusp. You're starting mm-hmm. to get some pieces in, some veterans are starting to come in. You know, like my thing was in that year, you could kind of feel that things were starting to turn around a little bit. You know, right when Granderson said real New Yorkers are Mets fans. Mm-hmm. So you could tell from there, pieces are starting to fall into place and you can kind of start to figure some of those pieces out and figure some of the future plan out. That's absolutely something you can do because you're. Not, it's one of those, well, you don't know until you try, mm. but you don't see the Dodgers saying, hmm, well, maybe we could try this person here unless it's an absolute desperation. I mean, you know, there is no desperation for Dom Smith being in left field. It's been three years. Right. It's been three seasons now. I know the DH comes back next year and all that, but defensively, the metrics don't love him at first base either. Mm-hmm. And that's not, I mean, you can't act like Pete Alonso has not been a top tier defensive first baseman this year. He has. He looks, he's, he's defensive numbers are off the charts. I think last I checked, he was at the minimum top 70, top 25% in the league in terms of out above average at first base, mm. which, you know, Defensive run save that first base can get a little tricky just because it's a little bit of a different position. But OAA keeps it pretty fair there, and he's routinely been grading out the top quarter percent of the league. Yeah, he said earlier, he said before the season started that he wants to win a gold glove one day, and a lot of people kind of. This might be his year. Yeah, a lot of people kind of laughed at it, but I mean, he's looked phenomenal out there at first base. He really has. Yeah, and I mean, I think at this point, you just kind of have to. No, you can't move them off. You can't look at a guy who's only getting better defensively and say, all right, you're our DH now, just because he's a bigger guy and a power hitter. Right. You know, if he defensively has been that dude, you don't change that. You know, so I think he's been one of the few bright spots, and his defense has been a great sight to see this year. But aside from that. Yeah, I think these past couple weeks – Pete might need a day off just because his back's been sore from carrying the team. It's he's he might, might need he's a, been the awesome. Grom type day off. We're we're surprised he hasn't killed everyone yet. He's been absolutely incredible. Um, but I mean, I, I think we both are just getting kind of depressed talking about the downfalls of this team. So let's let's do something a little bit new and get into the questions that our followers asked us on Twitter. Uh, so you can follow us both on on Twitter and you know ask us some questions, DM us, do whatever we need. So I think we are we might be making this a weekly thing, but let's get right into it. First question comes from Side Retired Pod. Uh, this is regarding Marcus Stroman. If he walks in the offseason, which free agent starting picture could be a solid replacement? Right now, 2022 is DeGrom, Taiwan, Cookie, McGill, Peterson. No, it could be quali- qualifying offer. Maybe Gosman, Robbie Ray. Doubt Kershaw or Scherzer come. And Bauer could be league minimum since the Dodgers owe him 102 mil. Um I'm going to start off well, with the for end starters, there. For starters, there's an option on the Bauer contract. Exactly, yeah. So, so uh, that I, might be not even – Not only is, is that – he's not going to be a league minimum. Also, I'm not touching that with a 10-foot pole. Yeah. I'm not either. I wouldn't go anywhere near that. Yeah. Uh, but you know, to, to answer the no rest of the question – What were you saying? Well, I'll say it's, it's no coincidence the Dodgers are playing their best baseball of the year, and he's not there. I mean you – know, It's been publicly known that – the Dodgers, most of his teammates do not like him. Right. So. Yeah. Uh, so to answer the rest of the question, there are some free agent starters out there. Or is there a couple that you have your eye on? Um, I think in one way, Kevin Gosman, obviously he's been phenomenal for the Giants. But you also have to look at it from this is his career best year in a walk year. Mm-hmm. So how much – stock you put into that and are you willing to give him that massive contract um you know it's a lot of i'm looking at it now it's gonna be a lot of older guys you know you have a um charlie morton to me 39 you got cueto who's gonna be 37 well he's, he's got a club option for like 20 or so million i don't see the giants picking that up you know scherzer will be out there kershaw will be out there verlander granke um you know there's also some interesting names in the sense that, you know, I could see, I think in Eduardo Rodriguez could be a nice fit. You know, Hefner has done a lot of solid work with a lot of solid arms. And I think Hefner could be a solid, or not Hefner. <laughs> I think uh, Erod could be a solid fit in the sense that he's still young. He's shown he can be that guy. Well, not that guy. He's shown he can be a legit middle of the rotation starter on a playoff team. 
I think it's a fire the Mets should be taking. You know, um, John Gray never went anywhere at the deadline. He hasn't been great in August, but he'll be a pending free agent. I think that might be another worthwhile look. You know, I think you're going to have a lot of a lot of attention kind of paid away from this pitching market this offseason just because it's, I won't say it's filled with old guys, but it's a veteran, it's a older veteran market, you know, with the Grankies, the Verlanders, the Kershaws, the Quatos. So, I mean, if I'm the Mets, I do what I got to do to make Stroman stay. I mean, he's a solid, he seems to be a great fit in the clubhouse. Guys seem to love him and respect him. And, you know, I don't care how many people he blocks on Twitter. No. I think what really matters is production on the field. Mm-hmm. You know, I hate, I hate the notion, oh, so-and-so can't handle the New York media. Who cares? You don't bring them here to handle media. They come here to play baseball. <laughs> like, I don't give a rat's ass. Right. He doesn't like someone from Newsday. Great. Right. <laughs> right. His value to the New York Mets is a million times more than that reporter's value is to Newsday. Mm-hmm. Not Newsday, not just using an example. Right. But, you know, even like his incident with, Tim Healy last week. Like, I don't care if he overreacts to that or not. Like, I couldn't if, possibly long, care less. The dude's got a sub three ERA and, and he only has, I think, one or two more starts until September. Mm-hmm. Like, give the man his respect. Right. Understand how great of a pitcher he is, mm-hmm. how good of a fit he is in the clubhouse. Even when you look at on the field, you have a great de- infield defense to go along with one of the better ground ball pitchers in baseball. Do what you got to do to bring him back. Yeah, you know, I think there's definitely you know Syndergaard does not pitch this year. Not saying that anyone's saying he isn't, but you know setbacks happen, mm-hmm. and the off chance he doesn't pitch, he might be willing to take that twenty million and try it again. You know, there's no reason to believe that beyond this year, Carrasco won't be back to himself. You know, he didn't really get a true rehab assignment just because of the nature of the Mets injuries and how badly they needed him to come up. They gave him like a pseudo rehab. So, you know, and he kind of got screwed over a little bit with that, you know, the, the uh, suspended game with the Nationals. Yeah. You know, even in the first inning, doink hit, doink hit, Juan Soto hits an outside pitch over the left field wall. Like, it happens. Great he got rocked in his, in his first start against the Dodgers. But yeah, yeah. Then yeah. He, he bounced Everybody back in, the other day against he – looked, he looked really solid through five innings. Right, and that's about all you can really ask from him. You know, I think just the fact that he's – I don't think he's gone past five innings yet. No, that was his first time. That's the first time going so, five innings this year. Yeah, I mean, they're obviously babying him in, knowing that he's not 100% ready yet, but also that they have no other options. Yeah. You know, so I think you got to do what you got to do to bring Stroman back. You know, and not too many of the other options that persist are really, you know, there, there's a catch to all of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, there are definitely some, some names that catch your eye. Scherzer catches your eye, but he's never going to come here. Verlander would be phenomenal, but I strongly doubt he goes anywhere but Houston. The same thing with uh with Kershaw. He's he's gonna he's gonna be buried in a Dodger. He's gonna jersey. die a Dodger. Yeah, that's... maybe Verlander goes home to Detroit. They're on the upswing. Sure, there's there and he'll reunite with AJ Hench, which is another place where people are saying maybe Carlos Correa goes there. Um, yeah, but there there are there are only so many options here that really look attractive. Just like okay. Is this going to be better than Marcus Stroman? Because, like we've said, and like we've like we've seen all year, besides the Grom, he's been the best pitcher. And every time now, it seems like whenever he's taking the mound, it's a big game, and he's he's pitched phenomenally. And we're going to need another one today against the Dodgers. So you have Stroman, and like you said, he can only take so much stock into Gosman year. Um, I've never been a big believer in Robbie Ray, so I'm not. I don't have a whole lot of not very interested in him. There's one guy that I even thought about maybe saying we should try to make a move and, and trade from at the deadline. I doubt he comes here because he's been with one team for so long. I would love to see what Adam Wainwright can do here. I thought about it. I put that idea out there, but you know, you know, cause around the deadline, around the deadline, I was hearing that the Mets were you know, looking for potentially like a rental starter. They ended up going with Rich Hill. Right. But, you know, they were looking for an older veteran who could kind of come in and not hold things down, but just pr- provide like a stabling mindset through rotation. That was at that point, younger guys, you know, at that point you have Walker, who's still relatively speaking younger. You mm-hmm. know, Rojas loves to call him a young veteran, but he was a younger guy really going through his first playoff push in a while. I don't know how much of stock you want to put into last year. Right. But, but I mean, Wainwright's been solid. 
He's still throwing perfect, uh, not perfect games. He's still throwing complete games. He's going deep into games every time. And, and at age 39, as of right now, as of this very moment, he's got a, an ERA just over three. I know ERA is in everything, but you look at it's something you, you, when you watch something. the games, it's not like he's, he's not like getting, he's getting lucky. He's getting soft contact. He's still getting ground balls. His curveball is still disgusting. He's still keeping hitters off balance. He knows how to pitch, and he never really needed the the sticky stuff because he's <laughs> the numbers from then to now are the same. That's a guy where if he's willing to leave St. Louis, I'd be very interested on on giving him a chance to to round up the rotation here. So that that's yeah. just that's a guy that I would look at. Uh, but let's move on to the next question. This is from I like the name not Mike Piazza at retire thirty one. Uh, it's been a pretty disappointing second half for the Mets. In your guys' opinion, what's a realistic approach to the offseason? Trying to offset the the wild assortments of, quote, get rid of everyone that's r- running rampant on Twitter at the moment. Um, yeah, I mean, I think if you know me, you know how I stand on some of the guys like the Luis, the Luis Rojas's of the world and some of the players. Um, some of them are definitely expendable. I think... The past couple of weeks, I've been on a very, very uh, let's get aggressive in the in the offseason kind of mode. So I don't know about you, but I want to blow past the luxury, the luxury tax in the offseason. I think it's a reasonable approach considering, um, you know, how outward the Mets have been about their willingness to blow through. Um, you know, I think obviously we all know you can't buy a championship. Mm-hmm. Even the Yankees at their peak still had homegrown guys at the core of it. You know, I think the Mets definitely have homegrown guys like DeGrom and Alonzo and Nimmo who can be at the core of a championship team. But, you know, I think a guy like Mark Canna makes a lot of sense. You know, I brought it up earlier. You got to move on from Dom Smith at this point. I think it would be pretty reasonable to think that you can get Lindor to – or you can get Bias to stay and play with Lindor. You can run Alonzo – Baez, Lindor, stick McNeil at third, mm-hmm. banish JD Davis to Siberia. Yep. You know, kind of just get what you can get what you can get for him. You know, I think the issue is him and Dom are holding back from winning. But at the same time, um, you know, they're they're not gonna be the reason that, that you lose games, but they're not gonna be the reason you win games. You know, so I think you need to start finding guys who can be not the anchor of your team fucking provide that depth that we were kind of hoping, you know, after seeing, all right, Dom had Dom and JD had great 2020s and 2019s, take that next step forward. Neither of them have. Yeah. You know, so then you get McNeil to play third and you go all in on the left field market. You know, you go bring in Starling Marte, shift Nimmo to a corner, bring Conforto back and try and fill out your bench better than you did this year. You know, I think it's another thing they're after. They're going to have to fill out their bench a lot better than we had originally thought they did you know Pilar has been terrible no other way to put it <laughs> Kevin Pilar has been terrible you know Jonathan Villar has been really solid and at times huge for them but you know he's a guy that maybe you can bring him back and get him to stay you know Nito's a fine backup catcher but Albert Almora is not good Kevin Pilar is not good you know Brandon Drury is the second backup infielder isn't I mean he's your 25th man effectively or your 26th man but you know even then it's, you don't, you, don't, you want to have the best player possible in that roster spot, you know, and jury has been at times un, unwatchable. <laughs> He's still Brandon jury. There's a reason that only Jared Porter was willing to give him a job because they were best buddies in Arizona, you know? So I think a reasonable approach is try and keep the core together. You know, they have guys on the way. You know, it's reasonable to think that was in that within two years, your starting third baseman is Brett Beatty and your starting catcher is Francisco Alvarez. I think that's pretty reasonable. Maybe you have Mark Vientos working in one of the corners or as your DH. It's all very reasonable. But I think the big key first is lock up the guys you have now. You know, DeGrom has that 2022 option. Get DeGrom reworked, you know. Figure out Alonzo's deal. Strike a deal with Nimmo. See if maybe you can get one with McNeil now, more of a shorter term one, but buy out those final years of arbitration. Mm-hmm. Maybe in the first couple of years of free agency. You know? So I think you have to try and figure that out. You know, maybe you keep I would I would give Baez a short term deal. 
Yeah. You know, I don't know how open that he is. He's publicly said he wants 200 million. He's also publicly said he wants to play with his best friend. Right. You know, so and he got that see, one. So got to see which one prevails there. So, you know, maybe he loves playing with Lindor the final month and a half. And maybe they don't make the playoffs, but maybe they start to push the, you know, kind of push the boundaries of it. And they start to play well, you know, that might be something that piques both their interests long term. So I think there's a lot of different ways to approach it. But I think the big keys we've learned from this year is you need to fill out the bench. You need to find a way to get Nimmo and Alonzo to stay long term. You need to build start. You need to build some better starting pitching depth. Yeah. You know, and just kind of go from there. Yeah. I mean, if, if I have to see Jared Eikhoff pitch in Queens one more time, I, 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 I might lose it. I might just lose it. So definitely to pick, you know, pick up more depth. And I think that's something that they did try to do this off season, bringing in Yamamoto, bringing in a couple other guys, just kind of just yeah, be, be in case of emergency, like, but yeah. And a lot of the arms they brought in either got hurt down in Syracuse. Right. Or just, like, you know, like they were kind of, I'm sure that they were hoping that in a sense, like there could be a world where you get legit innings out of his Bucky mm-hmm. or out of the Franklin Kilomet. Right. But you know, Kelame just got converted to a reliever after being hurt most of the year. And he's been great as a reliever. Oh, yeah. I, I wrote about it for MMO in the spring that he's an under-the-radar guy. They should maybe look to putting in the bullpen. But, you know, what do I know? <laughs> <laughs> but but you know, he's been hurt most of the year. And a lot of their depth, you, know, you can't plan on your depth getting hurt. Yeah, you can't really plan you on injuries on any, for anyone, especially you your build, depth. Right. The only way you build depth for depth is having an absurd player development system. And the Mets have a really good one. Mm-hmm. Even the best PV systems are not building depth for depth for depth. Right. You know? So a lot of it for this year has been the Mets have been kind of messed around with, with injuries. There's only so much you can do about that. But I think a big thing for them is just to build depth, build as much depth as you can. You know, even if it's minor league guys, you know, like it seemed like coming into the year, they had no one be at, like in their, in their AAA outfield, in their AA outfield. They go out, they get Rincon. Carlos Rincon in the Dylan McKinney trade, and he's been tearing it up. You know, that's a key move in building depth, you know, because it's reasonable to say if he gets hurt next year, he could be a guy – if someone gets hurt next year, he could be the guy that comes up. You know, Khalil Lee is finally putting it all together in AAA and has been for the past couple of weeks. You know, he might be your fourth or fifth outfielder next year because he's looking like he can be that guy. Mm-hmm. You know, so – but those are, those are two very under-the-radar moves that are building depth. So you just kind of, you know, they even, they got a live body for, uh, for Jacob Barnes. They got a live body for Jacob Barnes somehow. You know, they've been showing that they can try and that they can build that minor league organizational depth. Yeah. But this winter, I think they'll have to expand on that pretty, pretty, pretty important, pretty um, substantially. Yeah. And whether that comes through minor league free agent signings, smaller trades like that, minor, the minor league side of the rule five draft, you know, they'll have to figure it out. But those are, I think that's going to be the most important part for them is just figuring out stuff from an organizational standpoint. Yeah. Cause I think it's important. And th- I think it's important to kind of make the differentiate between being aggressive, making the right moves and spending like a drunken sailor, which is something that Steve Cohen had said he didn't want to do, especially in, in year one, maybe with the disappointing year in 2021, he kind of changed his mind. He's like, you know what? Screw it. Whoever wants to come here, here's a blank check, put up whatever amount of money that you want to put on here. And welcome to New York, you know. So who knows? I, I think I think they're are, are going to be a little bit more aggressive this year. I would be very interested in giving Baez uh, a two or three year deal to play alongside Lindor. There's no shot he gets two hundred million dollars. That's just that's just not going to happen. He's not that type of player. He's no one's going to give him a, a eight to ten year deal. I feel like I feel like if I had to put my money on it right now in 2022, he's he's opening. Um, he's playing second base for the New York Mets. Uh, that's just my thought. I I want to be aggressive. I want to get big names. I want to I want to spend a lot of money to get this team even even more dominant than than quite frankly it should be. This team should be running away with the division, and the the division race should be already over. It should be over. But somehow the Mets have let they let Philly and Atlanta hang around for too long, and now the Mets are running into their um, their low point of the year. They're struggling. They're playing like 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 garbage right now. And here we are, six games back. So we're going to have to see what they're doing in the offseason, but that's just my thought. Let's go right into the third question. And honestly, I'm going to leave this all to you because uh, I'm still 
not really in on the prospect side. I have a couple of names in my head, but I don't know. So who is the, uh, this question comes from at Fieger, uh, crazy Eddie, as he's called, who is a prospect that you think will make the biggest jump next year? My first thought would be Matt Allen, just considering he'll actually play next year. You know, he kind of, he was on the back end of some top 100 lists coming into the year. Tommy John definitely knocked him off. Um, I think he could be a name that jumps up a lot of lists. Um, I think if Ronnie Mauricio can start to kind of develop his eye at the plate, he's a name that can see some serious, some serious love by the prospect community. You know, I think the Mets have a lot of guys in the on the younger side of things who are finally starting to hit that age where they can start developing the prospects. You know, and they brought in some I think I, I thought they did a really good job bringing in some decent college college talent this year in the draft. You know, I like Mike Vassell. I've made that known very easily. Mm. Um, you know, Dominic Hummel is a guy that's getting some love. Um JT Schwartz, first baseman out of UCLA, the Mets internally really like a lot, you know. Yeah, that was the guy that you were raving about when we were talking about him. Yeah, I think he's I think he's a guy who will probably will crack the big leagues at some point. You know, whether that's here or elsewhere, you know, who knows? To you know, there's no point in guessing that. But you know, I think another name might be, you know, Junior Santos. If the velo can stay up, you know, his high water this year, I've heard has been as high as 98, pushing 99. I've heard he's struggled some games to get over 91. You know, Oof. he's still a teenager, obviously, but he's a guy that the Mets had high hopes for and still do. You know, they have a lot of those international arms, arm types, you know, that can make that jump. You know, Robert Dominguez, Alex Ramirez, they have those guys. You know, the, the international, international talent from the Dominican that can take that jump but their time to do it is this year, next year, or the following. Right. Because they're starting to hit that 18, 19, 20, 21, those years, which are, you know, for a prospect, those are prime development years. So if you can't really hit it that year, those years, you're really not going to be able to hit it much of, much of any time. You know, because the, commu- you know, the prospect community really starts to get low on guys once they kind of push past 22, 23. You know, if you're not re- like really a developed prospect by then, you're not going to get a lot of attention or love. You know, so the Mets have a lot of guys on that younger side of things that are going to be willing to, that are going to be in that time frame to make that jump. And, you know, we can't forget, they're going to have two first-round picks this year. Right. And, you know, that will be huge. And for all we know, the CBA starts to allow for draft pick trading in the upcoming years. You know, that'd be a godsend. It'd be amazing. I would love for that to happen. That's something that I think that should have happened a long time ago, but baseball is run by a people, bunch of people that are a thousand years old. So they've never, they've never allowed that, but I'm hoping that that changes this year. Well, you know, because the Mets are in a position where they can try and move one of their, you know, if their two picks are clumped together, you know, if they, their first pick is the 11th, you know, let's say their second pick is the 15th. Uh, you can try and move one of those and bring in some major league help while still bringing in a first round caliber prospect, mm-hmm. you know, so it'll be interesting. Yeah. I, I think the first thing that comes to mind is still Matt Allen. You know, I think he has ace potential. Mm-hmm. And as long as he's able to rehab normally from Tommy John, and there's absolutely no reason to think he won't, he should be fine. He should have a huge year next year. Yeah. That was one of the names that came to my mind just because, I mean, we haven't, we haven't gotten to see him yet. Um, so I thought about him. I thought about a guy like Jake Mangum just because I, I I like the I like his style of play, uh, but I don't know, I don't really know what his realistic kind of timeline is. Um, and I don't know if you saw while you were talking, gave a nice little fist pump because Javi Baez not only made contact but did exactly what we've been saying, made solid contact, drove a double off of uh, over AJ Pollock's head. Brandon Nimmo scores one nothing New York in the first inning. That's that's I, I I can't remember being so excited over a first inning double this year. It's but here we are. Um, all right, let's move on to the next question. And I already know my answer to this one. And I'm sure I think we're listening to something that we kind of share opinions on. This is coming from Dylan Sagevic. I th- I'm sorry if I'm butchering your name. Thoughts on signing Castellanos if he decides to opt out and putting him left field over Dom. All right, so let's, let's get into this. Nick Castellanos is going to opt out. He's going to. Because 
I forgot the amount of money that he's, I think, I think it's like $16 million. He will get more than that. He will a hundred thousand percent get more than whatever he's being owed. He's having an MVP caliber year. If the Reds, which right now they're they're actually in the in the wildcard hunt, I'm not. I don't know why Cassianos isn't getting more more love in the MVP conversation. He's I think he has the second highest batting average. He's got like 23, 23, uh, 22, 23 home runs. He's driving and runs on a crazy rate. He gets on base. Uh, the only bad thing about him is that he is a putrid defender. But you put him in right field, and you kind of kind of camouflage that 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 deficiency. Nick Castellanos is a tremendous bat. I love Dom Smith, but if getting rid of Dom Smith means we could have Nick Castellanos play left or right field in Queens, sign me up. Yeah, I mean, I think the defense is a different conversation, but you need the bat. You know, Mets can't hit right now. You need the bats. You know, they'll line up going into next year. The perspective lineup will have a lot of questionable bats. A lot of guys coming off career low years. So... I, I think you hit the nail on the head. You got to get that bat in the lineup. Yeah. I, I don't know what it's going to take if it's, it, but it's, it's going to be a lot of money, but like I said, I want to be aggressive. I want to go over the luxury tax this year. So if that means including Nicholas Castellanos and one of the best power bats in the national league. Yeah. Put that in the middle of the order, get him, keep Conforto on a qualifying offer. Then you have a very potent offense, a very potent middle of the order between Castellanos, Alonzo, and Conforto. And that's not even including Lindor and Baez. So keeping that answer kind of short, I, I feel like that's... It's a, it's a pretty cut and dry question. For it's very cut and dry. <laughs> yeah. Yes, um, then I had one more. Hold on, just scroll past it. Okay, so this one... I don't know if it was directly uh, in response to the, the question tweet that we put out there, but it, it was another question. So I figured we'd touch base on it. This is regarding Javi Baez. And this comes from Fort Lee, New Jersey, USA. That's, I wonder where he's from. Um, the big question in the offseason is, does Baez think he's $100 million less than Lindor or Tatis? Uh, so more or less, does, does Javi Baez really think he's worth 200, 250 million? Is there going to be, be a team willing to give that to him? And will the Mets be willing to splurge on a guy like that for that kind of money? Um, not for Baez. They've shown that they are willing to splurge on that because they kind of gave that Lindor deal to Lindor. Um, if yeah. Baez really thinks he's worth $250 million, I would like to get a mental examination first before he signs his contract. Um, but... No, he's not worth 200 million. He's not worth 240 million. He, that's not the type of player that he is. If he was having a, you know, an OPS over a thousand type of season, then okay, we could have that conversation. But he's just not that type of guy. He's a good bat. He's a great defender. He's he brings ex an, a crazy amount of excitement and flair to whatever team he goes to. But he's not a type of player that deserves that type of money. No, no, I don't think he does. Um, I don't think anyone gives that to him, especially in a year going into the CBA negotiations coming off multiple years of owners crying for and threats of labor stoppages over free agent markets moving at historically slow rates um i don't think anyone's gonna think he's worth worth that money maybe not even his mother um <laughs> of javi but that's not it's not his worth you know i think they should do what they have to do to keep them within reason you know part of going through the luxury tax is keeping your important pieces in place so I think you have to keep them in place. You got to keep Stroman in place and just do what you can to try and keep most of your core here. You know, and hopefully they can get it done. If not, you know, thankfully it's you know, the, the new New York Mets in terms of financial flexi flexibility. And they can go out and bring guys in. You know, it's, there definitely is a lot of pressure with playing under a hands-on billionaire. But at the same time, you know, the right ones are willing to step up for it. You know, that's why I commend, you know, guys that chose the Mets, you know, because you, you knew going into that, you're going to be put on blast if it is not working out. You know, and then, you know, James McCann chose to come play for a local owner. And mm -hmm. James usually been the first one to say when things are going bad for the Mets, he was the first one to say, yeah, this sucks right now. We're playing terrible. But we have to figure it out. And then we got, we got for everyone else, all we got was, we're fine. Don't worry. We get in ruts like this all the time. It's fine. Whereas McCann was very much more upright with, look, we're playing terrible baseball. We have to figure it out. You know, so I think 
the Mets need some guys like that. We're willing to keep things 100%. You know, fans are done being lied to. The media is done being lied to. We can all see through it now. You know, Steve Cohen can see through that. You know, so I think, I think Baez is a guy who seems like he's up to that task. You know, he wants to try. I think he knows he's not that guy, but he can be one of the guys to get you there. He's done it before. He was yeah. a piece in a world championship. And for better or for worse, he's the same player now that he was then. So I think you got to, within reason, do what you got to do to keep him. But, you know, it's baseball. If he walks, he walks. Yeah. You know, it's happened, it's happened plenty of times before where we were told the Mets can't miss this guy. You have to sign him. He goes somewhere else. He's terrible. Yeah. Sorry, but Trevor Bauer is heading straight for a criminal investigation mm. out in LA. And I was told that the Mets should fold their franchise because they didn't sign him. You know, oh, so. yeah. Between him, I heard people say that we need to go out and get James Paxton. I don't think he's on a pitch this year. There are a couple guys. I mean, you know, yeah. the only one that you can really say, they, yeah, they should have gotten him was JT Real. Springer's having a phenomenal year when he's playing. Right, when he's playing. Yeah, he's turning into, you know, he's a frequent flyer with the IL right now. Yeah. But, you know, I think in the end, you got to do what you got to do to keep your core intact. You know, I think they have a championship core. But, you know, sometimes your core gets hurt, and their biggest issue this year has been that when their core has gotten hurt, guys haven't been able to step up. You know, I think a lot of that is team approach and team philosophy, and guys are putting too much pressure on themselves. But, you know, I think they're going to have another, I think – you know, the new regime finally has a full year of basically watching this team under them. They're going to have a full new year of data and they're going to have some decisions to make. Yeah, definitely. Um, real quick before we go, I, I don't know. I don't know how. All I know is that I looked over my shoulder and it's 3 nothing now. Uh, I think, yeah, they just got the, the third out of the inning, but it's 3 nothing New York. Apparently, J.D. Davis actually did something. Apparently, Jonathan VR did something. So the Mets are actually two for two with runs in scoring position, which is, I think, the most hits they've gotten in three weeks. Well, and before Stroman can even throw a pitch, it, it's 3 nothing New York over against David Price, which is it's a good yeah. start. Got to do something. <laughs> Got to do something. So hopefully they can get this win and hopefully buys in the door and, and the rest of the reinforcements coming back kind of helps his team try to push back for the playoff spot. Who knows? They're the wild card still in play with San Diego struggling. And, and as hot as Atlanta is, the division's not completely out of the realm of possibility, but Hey, that's all I have. I don't know if you have any, uh, any closing thoughts for the week. That's all I got. All right. Well, that's it for the maiden city with Antonio Slater and Jack Ramsey. Hope you guys enjoyed the episode and uh, Hey, we'll see you next week. Let's go Mets.